Welcome to the Close Knit Podcast, a podcast that aims to hold space for conversation to be had about the ways we use fiber to process life and world events. You're listening to episode 44, and this week I spoke to Isadora Alvarez of Backbeat Rags. Lately, I've been particularly intrigued by production, how a person gets into clothing and textile production and design, what this process looks like, and the many complexities within it. I've been admiring Isadora's laid-back style and commitment to natural fibers for some time. Then I read an interview piece with her and was struck by her voice, the way she told her story with integrity and tons of honesty and a sense of humor. Bringing her on the podcast, I was excited to dig into the why behind her commitment to natural fibers and to understand more about her local production. She walks us through what production looks like for Backbeat so thoroughly and with so much thoughtful detail. I think this episode is really exciting for anyone who wants to, to more deeply understand how many steps are involved in textile production and how much thought and intention goes into this process for Isadora. She's always had a really scrappy DIY approach to her business. Hearing all about Isadora's journey from the Philippines to the U.S. to study and eventually to start Backbeat Rags is deeply interesting and inspiring. Listen on for our whole chat. Thanks so much for tuning in. It's Ani of Close Knit, and I'm here with Isadora Alvarez of Backbeat Rags. How's it going? It's going good. How are you? Good. Yeah. Thanks for being here tonight. Where are you? I am in Los Angeles. Awesome. Yeah. And that is where you live, right? Yeah. That's where we live, where, where I live, and that's where the brand is based, too. Awesome. Cool. Um. So I basically wanted to preface this by just saying I've been feeling really inspired lately by folks who are kind of working in design, especially clothing design and production. And I'm really interested in how it is that a person finds their way into this role. So with that kind of in mind, I'm wanting you to take us all the way back before Backbeat existed um, to the first time that you remember working with textiles, maybe your first sewing project. So basically I work with mainly natural fibers. And I was mm-hmm. trying to like figure out why why I decided to do that. Like I was always like drawn to it. And I think I've like forgotten mm-hmm. that I used I used to live in an island in the Philippines. Yeah. So it was always like super hot and like humid. And I would just like never want like synthetic uh, materials to like touch my skin. Especially like when it's like super hot and humid and you're like sweating your yourself off. <laughs> <laughs> you can swear on this podcast, by the way. <laughs> um, so I guess like recently I was just like thinking, I was like, why, why do I like natural fiber, fibers that much? And then I started remembering that when I was a kid, I, we would have to go to church and my mom would be like, okay, you need to get, you need to get dressed. And it would take me like maybe five, five outfit changes before I could like figure out what to wear and I would always have to because I would always be so picky about what would be touching my skin and Mm -hmm. I think like my appreciation for natural fibers started then 
I was yeah. always like wanting to be like in cotton. I always wanted to be able to breathe and my body to not feel like it was like trapping like heat and like sweat in it. Yes, totally. So I think that's really where it all started. That's so interesting because that's something I think about a lot as well. Like I um, have noticed as an adult that I'm kind of, I've always been sensitive. Like my body has always been really sensitive to things. And um, my sister will point out things that I would do as a child that I now realize are like an interest in textiles. Like I was obsessed with bedding and like thread count of bedding. And I would be like, mom, this sheet is a thousand thread count. It's Egyptian cotton. And I'd be like in these like PBT, like these catalogs, these like homewares catalogs, looking at all the like natural fibers. And I, I think about this stuff a lot too, because my, um, my partner is Filipino and he, oh, we talk a lot. Yeah. We talk a lot about, um, different fibers and the like the reason that we wear these different things and he was like the other day he was like I feel kind of bad when I'm not wearing natural fibers around you (laughs) (laughs) and I was like no it's not like about it being right or wrong it's just like this feels better to me like this feels better on my skin and he finds that like he'll often be wearing some form of synthetic, like a polyester or something sport fabric blend for like playing tennis and stuff. Yeah. And I find that really interesting because to me, exercise and being hot and being whatever, like it's always made the most sense to have just as little clothing on my body as possible and as, and as natural as possible, which sounds like the same was true for you, even as a little kid. Yeah, like even now when I go to the gym, I wear like a cotton t-shirt instead of like uh you know just performance wear because I feel like when I sweat it just like it it doesn't get trapped there it just like breathes so I feel like yes I gravitate towards that more yeah I feel the same way and it's interesting how it just works like that just resonates for some people like some people I feel like I had the same experience as a kid just being having sensitive skin or like feeling most comfortable in natural fibers. And yeah, I just keep coming back to that. It keeps happening in conversations with people where they're like, why do you wear only natural fibers? And I like could justify it a whole bunch of different ways. Yeah. But ultimately it comes down to like, it just feels good on my body. (laughs) (laughs) That's basically it. Like seriously, like that, I think at the end of, at the end of the day, like all I just really want and, it's funny because people, whenever they see or touch, whenever they touch, are able to touch my clothing, they're always like, well, it's super soft and like super comfortable. And now it's just like, yeah, because that's just like, at the end of the day, that's just all I want to touch my body. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, I just want to be comfortable. <laughs> yeah, like, I just, want, I just want to be comfortable. Like, I was never the type of person that would like, put herself in like, stiff clothing and be like boxed in it just all needed to like and whenever I would had to do that I just would not feel like comfortable in my own skin so Mm -hmm. with my clothing line I was just I just really made sure that everything would be like super comfortable and it's just like easy to like wear and live in and it would still be cute of course but it would just like tick all those boxes yeah totally Um, so 
were, did you have access to natural fibers? Like, cause I remember I've read something from you where you were talking about um, not being able to like find the kind of clothes that you wanted to wear on the island in the Philippines that you're living on. And so sewing it yourself, what were you sewing those out of? Like, can you tell me about that first sewing project? I was <laughs> obsessed with Gwen Stefani and like, wanted like those j- Jinko jeans. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Of course, like that never reached, that probably didn't reach the Philippines until like five years after. So, yeah. <laughs> and there's like literally like no boutiques in the ho- my hometown. So I grew up in this island called Palawan and I, if you Google it, it's, it's basically like it's it's an island and it's in an island in the in a developing country so you can just imagine like mm-hmm. we didn't really have a lot of like choices when it came to like shopping and stuff but i yeah. was like this teenager that was like obsessed with like mtv and i was just like well i can't get that anywhere <laughs> i would have to like wait for my aunt from the states to like send me stuff but then i also like wanted stuff so I asked my mom one day, I was like, hey, can I, like, take sewing lessons? And she's like, yeah, why not? My first sewing project was a pair of, like, really flared red pants. And I think they were out of, like, probably, like, a cotton twill or something like that. Wow. Yeah. Solid choice for, like, a teenager, you know? (laughs) I was kind of, like, going through my, like, skater girl phase. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was, like, I think that was, when I was doing that, that was, like, the first, like, planting of the seed of, like, me thinking, now, oh, I could probably at some point do this for a living, like, be a designer, mm-hmm. have, like, have a clothing line. Yeah, and you were, like, 14, you think? I think I was, like, 14 or 15. Wow. So then what happened between then and Backbeat? Can you give us the, the story? Um. So, yeah. So I moved to the city, which is Manila, the capital of the Philippines, after high school. I went to, like, a regular university because, you know, in Asia, being an artist, quote-unquote, is, like, not ideal. <laughs> Okay. So my dad's deal with me was, why don't you take a normal course first, like a normal degree, and mm-hmm. then you can do whatever you want after. That didn't really work out. <laughs> after a year, I was like, I can't really do this. So I took up a, a an associate's degree in design in Manila. And I think I did that for two years. And then the industry in Manila back then, now it's very different. Um, was that if you were a designer, you would be doing um, custom-made designs for a client. Mm. It wasn't really popular then to have, like, just a line. So you would have to, like, really cater to a client and make designs specifically for them. So I did that. I, with my graduation money, I opened like a little indie boutique that was named Make Love Not War and which (laughs) was a, it was a very um, brave effort on my part being like 19 and, was I 19 or 20? Yeah. And not really knowing what the fuck I was doing. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I did that. And I also tried to like um, have like other young designers like consign their stuff in my little store. And then I was yeah. also doing like the kind of like the bespoke service out there. And I really didn't enjoy that part. I mm-hmm. always wanted to like just have a brand and be able to just like design what I wanted and not have to like cater to somebody else's like specific wants and needs. Like that wasn't what I was like thinking in my head when I said I wanted to like be in fashion. So I did that for like maybe two and a half years. And then I decided I was like, all right, like, cool. This is all great, but it's not really what I want to do. I know there's something else out there, but I also have had learned running the shop for like two and a half years that, you know, I also need to learn the business side of fashion. Like it's just not all like fun and games. So I decided to go back to school and get, get a degree, like finish an actual degree. And so I moved to San Francisco and took up fashion merchandising. Oh, okay. So where did you do that? Where did you do your degree? Academy of Art. Okay, cool. Yeah. I was kind of like over living in Manila and I was like, maybe I, you know, try living in a different country. I've always wanted to live in California. So it's like, I'll check it out. <laughs> Move to San Francisco thinking that it would be like California, California, the, the California that was in my head, which is like LA actually. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Warmer, beachier. Yeah. <laughs> so I moved to San Francisco and then, yeah, did my degree there. I think I was there for like two and a half years. I did like the fast track. Um, and then when I graduated, I was like, all right, it's either, it's either New York or LA because San Francisco didn't have really much of a fashion scene and it was cold as fuck. So <laughs> true yeah I was just like this is not working out like I am pale and there's no sun most of the time um (laughs) so my then boyfriend now husband and I decided that we were gonna move to Los Angeles because we just like we visited one one weekend and we were like all right that's it like we love it here it's like sunny all the time and you know it's just like so casual it's like so relaxed and there's a lot more space than San Francisco and there's no winter compared to if like we moved to New York. Yeah. So I moved to LA and I worked for an off price retailer and um, that's basically when my whole, like when this whole like journey of like backbeat rag started, I was just dealing with like a lot of like crap. Like I was in the handbag division and we would just be ordering like five, five dollar handbags yeah. from like China, and if yeah. it's a five dollar handbag, you know it's not gonna last that long. <laughs> and we would like open the boxes of samples, and it would just like stink because it's just like all like PVC and just like plastic and just like chemicals and all that. So, and there wasn't really like a pride in what I was doing. Like I was like earning a pretty decent paycheck, and you know being out of college but there was just like no pride because it was just like just we were just like dealing with a bunch of crap yeah yeah so I did that for like two and a half years and 
during that time, I was just like, all right, I really want to go back into like owning my own, being my own boss, owning my own thing. But I couldn't really like at that point, I just didn't really know yet. Like I wanted to do something, but it was I was still trying to like find that right path that I felt like was what I really wanted to do. So, but then I was just like, if I stay here longer, they're going to promote me again and I'm just going to get sucked in I'm just going to earn more money and then I'm never going to leave. So Yeah. Yeah. So I quit. I think that was, what are we now? 2018, 2015. And during that time, like when I moved to LA, I had always been thrifting back home in the Philippines. There's actually like a pretty decent like vintage scene there, but it's not really called vintage. It's just called like thrifting. Yeah. So, and then moving to LA, that just like rekindled it because here it's just like vintage Mecca, I think. Yeah. I was like going around like the flea markets and stuff and I was like, I could probably do this. Like just, you know, um, figure out where people buy all these things and put up a stall and kind of like sell vintage for a little bit so that's what I did I quit my job and then I started selling vintage at um flea markets and just like popping up like everywhere Mm -hmm. and then while I was doing that I was still like in in at the back of my head I was just like all right I'm still gonna do a line I just really need to figure out what I want to do and what I think um, that people need because I was like I was like I'm not just gonna have a line just to have a line like I want it to serve a purpose fill a need and you know solve a problem basically yeah I had been doing I had been like mostly picking out like vintage t-shirts and sweatshirts like that's what I kind of like specialized in mm-hmm. so I was like okay well seems like I gravitate towards a certain category so I was like how do I like create this like turn this into like a clothing line probably took me like a year to like finally figure it out and then I um I came across the brand Young Maven is that how you pronounce it I've never known I'm like Young Maven Young Maven <laughs> like no idea yeah but I know who you're talking about <laughs> that line and I was just like damn this is really cool you know like this is actually like stuff that I like, you know, how like, you know, how like eco-friendly and sustainable back then, even just like a, just a few years back, it always had like the stigma of like being kind of boring, you know, being kind of like has like that sort of like crunchy granola look. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so when I saw Young Maven, I was just like, wow, I mean, it's like you can make it look cool. Yeah. And I was just like, all right, so I like what they're doing. And obviously I have like all like these like vintage like references. And I was just like, I don't want to like put out more crap or use like material that is, you know, not really good for I mean, let's let's be honest, like fashion isn't gonna be a hundred percent sustainable. It's just you're you're right. making more things. But that was like, all right. People are going to make things, but can why don't I make it in a better way? Right, right, right. Basically, like, a very long way of saying how I got it. <laughs> No, it's perfect. It's perfect, and it's it's hard because, like, 
you sort of ask these these open-ended questions with the hope that your guest will take it on a 15-minute tangent, you know, or like 15-minute journey, and that is exactly what you did, which is perfect. <laughs> no, truly, it's why I asked the question, because I was hoping for the open-ended answer of um, talking about having been, like, being born in the Philippines and coming here and just that whole journey. And I, I didn't know so much the timeline of that and um, some of the, the finer details of you doing your associate's degree and then, and then doing university here. And yeah. um, I mean, I have so many questions about all of that, but to keep it, to keep it all, you know, uh, time wise, fine. I'm going to, I want to ask about, um, uh, so while you're like doing these vintage markets and stuff, you're kind of figuring out backbeat. And is it, I feel like at this point, this is maybe when you're figuring out your production line and like, um, I was watching your little video, not little video, sorry, a short video of on your website, which is very well produced, um, that was talking about kind of all of the steps that go into production. And I wondered, especially for this audience, which, um, a lot of people like are clothing producers themselves, but maybe don't have a, uh, a people who listen to this podcast, I mean, are making it kind of on a, a smaller scale, but I'm really curious about the larger scale production and how it is that you found those people and then what that actual production looks like from concept in your brain to final product. Can you kind of walk me through that? Yeah. So basically number one, I Googled a lot. I did not have any contacts when I lived, when I moved to LA. So a lot of it was just like really me just like going to vendors and asking questions and then going to like um, fabric shows and all that. And that's really how I, I found all these people. So anyway, um, from the start so I have an idea or I, I see a t-shirt like an old t-shirt or anything that inspires me really and then I um it goes two ways sometimes I have I have a design idea or sometimes I see fabric that I really love and then I try to make something out of that or it's the other way around where I mean I I figure I like think that, oh, I want to make a t-shirt like this and then try to like find a fabric that'll fit that. Mm -hmm. From there, um, I work with a, a good friend of mine and she um, puts it into a technical pack. So it's basically like all the details of the garment, like the sizing, like the measurements and like the stitches and just like all like the design details are going to be put into that pack. Yeah. After the tech pack's done, we hand it off to the pattern maker. Mm -hmm. And then the pattern maker, you know, makes the pattern, whatever, and then brings it back to us or brings it to the sample sewer. And then the sample sewer will like sew the first the first um the first fit. And then we we fit it on our, our fit model. So that probably takes like maybe it really depends. It's anywhere from like two to maybe five fits. Right. It's not a fast process. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, totally. I mean, and just knowing even all of the steps in there of like, I was just thinking like, how do you even know that you need all of those different steps? Like, is this stuff you learned in school? I didn't know. It's very funny yeah. because I was just like, well, so the, when I did my AA, my associates um, degree, it was very much like a, a bespoke um, training. Right. 
really anything about tech packs and whatever. It was more like how you make a pattern, how you measure every single like part of the body to be able to get that right fit. So that's very different. And I feel like that's what they teach in like traditional like fashion design school. Uh-huh. But when it's like when it comes to making a clothing line, it's it's extremely different. And I never, never, never knew how <laughs> how like time consuming it was so the my friend who does all my technical pack packs um has actually been in the clothing industry for like over a decade so she's had helped me a lot and she just basically explained to me because what I when I first started my first ever collection I I was like I googled everything and I was just they're like okay well you need a tech pack so I like pencil drew my (laughs) the design on like this piece of paper and then I went online and looked at measurements of like brands that I liked and then looked at their measure the measurements of their small and then put it in there or like the measurement of a a small dress the length so I would put it in there so that's how I did it (laughs) right 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 well I mean thank god for the internet right (laughs) I do not know how people did it back in the day. I just don't think they did, you know? Like, very few people had access to these things. And yeah. there were so many, like, specific sort of pipelines that you had to go through to be able to become a designer or something, you know? Yeah, it's it's a lot of steps. And it's actually, it's funny because the hardest thing to design or to, to do is a t-shirt. Because the fit yeah. is so tricky and... Oh my God, I probably have like a hundred t-shirt samples at this point because it's just to get that bright fit. It's just like a never ending Uh, process. So that's just been like iteration for you, like testing it over and over. Our original crop, which we, I started selling when I, when from the very first collection, I think that's gone through like maybe it's probably gone at, through a revision every season yeah because a lot of people like try it on more and then I hear more comments and then so I go back in and I like, tweak it some more the more I see it in like different body types I and then you know just all the, in, the new information and then I go back in and kind of yeah. just like try to fix it anyway so so fits so fitting and then once that's all done, once it, we approve everything, it now goes back to the pattern maker and they'll do like a production pattern. Uh-huh. We're going to bring it to a marking and grading person. So a grader does um, the size grades for for the pattern. So they'll do like an extra small to like whatever size you want or whatever sizes that you, you choose. And then the marker, the and then they bring it to the marker, which they'll mark the pattern pieces on a piece of paper, which then will be brought to the cutter, who will um, lay out the fabric in like this big gas table. Uh-huh. And then they'll put the marker on top of the fabric. So the marker's width is basically, I think, maybe like, they'll have a little bit of allowance on the side, but it's basically meant to fit the fabric and it's it's like a puzzle so that you don't waste any fabric right okay I'm not sure if you've seen something like that but it's pretty interesting so and then the cutter cuts it that's like the bundle and then now it goes to this the sew the sewers okay sewers sew it and then I do what I do is I 
order my quantities. Maybe it's like 150 or 200. Yeah. All of that is in, um, it's all in PFD, which is called prepared for dye. So my fabric is all white. Right. Okay. So I don't do, I don't buy colored fabric. Uh So after the sewers are done, I usually um, divide the pieces into how many colors I'm going to do with that style. And then after that, it goes to the dye house, gets dyed, gets grinded or whatever treatment, tie dyed or whatever I decide to do with it. And then after that, (laughs) it goes back. (laughs) It goes back to the factory for um, so that the labels and all the and then the labels will get sewn back on will get sewn on and then um, it'll get finished, which means like the trim they're they're gonna trim like extra threads or whatever and then they're gonna steam it, fold it, and pack it. Yeah, that's the very long process. Uh, yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's amazing. It, I guess so. The something that I'm interested in is the decision to buy white fabric. Is that um, because you want to have control over the colors that you achieve? No, um, that's basically because I have to be scrappy. Uh huh. I run into fabric minimums. Right. Sustainable fabric. It's actually getting a lot easier now because a lot of the mills now stock, but more not a lot some stock but a lot of them don't stock it they will offer it but they don't stock it so it means that you have to specially order it for you for yourself Uh, so when that happens it they usually ask you to order like a thousand yards to make it worth their while to like to change like the needles or whatever in their machine to just like make it for you right okay so that means if i buy a thousand yards they're not gonna just they're not gonna you know subdivide that and 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 um have like the rules die like that's your problem (laughs) right okay so it's just easier for me to have variety yeah i just do the dying after Right. Okay. Okay. That's so interesting. I know so little about this process and like, I mean, I know about, you know, minimums that a lot of that, that's like pretty prohibitive for small business with um, production, but that's really interesting. I didn't, I didn't think of that as being like a reason for why you would end up doing the dying afterwards. That makes sense. (laughs) And this is all really local to you, right? This is all happening in LA. Yeah. Currently, everything is still happening in LA. Awesome. Yeah. And that was, um, can you talk me through that decision making process? Well, I think it was just also like wanting to be, I'm very curious and I always like want to know what's happening. Yeah. I am Filipino. So the way I treat like people, it's like, we're always like family. So I really wanted to have um, that kind of like connection with my vendors and be able to, I was doing, I mean, I was do. I started this business on my own. So I really had to like check up on it. And I, you know, I didn't, I can't do that if I went overseas, like right away. Yeah. And of course, like the minimums here are like so much um, lower. And I really wanted to um, support like, the economy 
So I figured mm-hmm. I was just going to do everything like locally first. We have like a pretty strong um, knit, like a knit scene here in LA. Like uh-huh. if you were going to do um, manufacturing in America, like LA is like really known for knits. So I was just like, mm. I'm going to do it here. Yeah. That's cool. I didn't know that about knits. Cool. Yeah. Nobody does yeah. have wovens here anymore. There's like a couple of people, but we're really known to be like a knit city. So how are you doing your woven fabrics? Because you have a few, right? Like you have a couple jackets and pants and stuff? I started getting more into like jackets and, like, you know, easy pants and stuff like that. So yeah. I found some people that have, that do it and that do it like, well, I feel like and that's another frustration with um, making here in, in the U.S. is that because we're not a manufacturing hub anymore, it's the skill levels have have um aren't as great as like you know manufacturing in like Vietnam or even China or something right. like that because they yeah. have like all the training and the technology and all that we don't have that anymore like it's yeah. just not here it's too expensive mm-hmm. so it's been really really tough I I've had like a lot of um, bad experiences with with factories that said that they could do wovens and then at the end they were like you can't do it so I finally found like this um, amazing amazing um, s- small factory in downtown that is owned by like a husband and wife and they do like a great job at um, yeah. sewing the wovens but even like woven fabric is not it's not done here in the States anymore. Like you can't find um, woven that's made here. Right. Okay. I mean, so this, this is so interesting. The, the skill level thing. Cause I think about this too, like with, um, I think sometimes we boil it down in this way that's sort of reductive and not very helpful. That's like, you have to boycott manufacturing in China and Vietnam and blah, 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 because it because we can't control like we don't have they don't have the sorts of labor laws in a lot of cases that like America has or minimum wages that America has but then there's this flip side of that of like again like the lot of the skill that these folks possess and just kind of yeah it's interesting to hear in many perspectives because I think as consumers it's really easy to just like want a really clear directive like made in USA good made overseas bad like using those as terminology can feel like empowering in some ways but it's also it's just so much more nuanced than that I think I feel like that's how I was too when I was starting out it's just like no made in the USA because like it's gonna be the best and it's you know gonna be top-notch and then but then as the more I got into it I was just like well yeah like for knits like great like no problem they can do that in their sleep, like not a big deal. But when you get into like the more detailed stuff, like the wovens and all that, it's just not as great as, as it would be if we, I worked with a manufacturer that has the skills and this, the technology to do it. Right. Right. It has been like this dilemma of be like, okay, do I just be purely made in the USA, but like let the quality suffer and all that. And I, and I just don't think that it's fair that I box myself in 
make my customers buy something that, you know, could be better, in my opinion. Right, right. And it's hard there, too, because like at this stage, you're so close to your production that you also can keep an eye on how everything's going and also like how people are feeling, you know, like employ. I think that that's the main thing for folks with not buying overseas is often about um, like employee treatment and like and working conditions and like that kind of thing. I imagine keeping an eye on that kind of thing would just be harder from a distance. So I don't know. But it's not impossible. <laughs> no, totally. And like there are, there's totally like credentials and and bodies that certify these sorts of things for that reason. So there's definitely ways to make that, you know, make that possible. So, yeah. I want to know more about your decision-making with your fabrics. And I know, like, I know that you're talking about natural fibers, just like being something that feels good on your body, but I know that you've picked specifically a few fibers that you're kind of, you've kind of been working with. And can you tell me about those and maybe fabric that you're really excited about right now? I am really, I'm, I'm always excited if there's something new, um, a new like knit or whatever that I can do with hemp. Uh-huh. I just love hemp. I just love the way it looks. I just love the way it feels. And I, you know, I just love the way that it's just like basically the best crop out there. Yeah. So I have been trying to do more hemp. What kind of um, hemp blends have you done? Do you have blends? I do. It's either a 60% hemp. Right, okay. 40% organic cotton or like a 55 hemp, um, 45% cotton. Organic cotton. Right, I was right. like trying to do the math in my head. <laughs> yeah, no worries. <laughs> um, and like with finding those fabrics, did you find that, is that a simple process for you? Or is that a headache? <laughs> it's a headache. Yeah, I bet. Okay. Can you tell me about that? Well, it's just because like, Organic cotton was fine. Like it was fairly easy to um to to find out of all of, out of all of like the sustainable fabrics. But then I was just I was also like, all right, I really, really, really want it to be special. So I want it to be hemp. Like it just it just like feels better to me. It's like it has like that vintage feel. But then since it's blend, it's it ha- it's a an organic cotton blend it kind of also takes on the softness of um, organic cotton. Yeah. So I was looking, 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 and then I finally found a knitting mill that I was just like, hey, I have this fabric that I really love. Can we do something that's maybe a hemp? And I, I coming into going into this business, I did not know anything about fibers or all of that. Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah. I was just like, yeah, oh, that yeah. feels great. Oh, la la. And I'm still like learning. Uh-huh. Um, so I found this um person that was willing to knit um things for me. Yeah. And yeah, that's basically how I like started doing more and more of it. Which is kind of bringing that to her and seeing whether she'd do it for you. Yeah, basically that's what happened. Yeah, I mean, that's amazing. And I think that that's part, that's like part of what's so interesting and exciting about this is that there are so many ways to come at it. And so there's so many possibilities, I think. 
So I basically like, go to him and be like, hey, I found this fabric and I really love the way it feels. Can we right. either do it in a hemp organic cotton blend or is this, is, can we just do it in organic cotton or like, you know, how right. is this going to happen? Right, right, right. Can you, you know how you were saying before that sometimes the fabric leads the design process? Can you think of any garments lately that that's been the case for that you were like, this fabric needs to become something and then the garment was born out of it? I um, have started working with hemp traders. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them, but uh-huh. they're basically, uh, they're one of the biggest like hemp um, importers here in, it's just in Ireland. I'm not really sure if it's in the U.S., but. Uh-huh. So I'm not sure if you know, but hemp was not. I think it's legal now. I think they just passed a bill. I'm not really sure. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> no worries. I'll Google it. Yeah, you you couldn't. You can't really grow hemp here in the states. Right. Not everywhere. Right. A lot of the hemp actually comes from like China, because they can right. grow it there. So uh-huh. they were bringing in all like these amazing like hemp fabrics, and then I just. I just fell in love with like this heavy um, hemp twill that felt like it was denim. Uh-huh. So I was just like, all right, I need to do something with this. I don't care if it's really expensive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Make something out of it. And then so I made the utility jacket and the utility pants out of that. Right. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's like so much that I want to ask you, but I also don't want to like, and then this two hour podcast that we had, <laughs> um, I feel like we could talk forever about all of the cool things. Well, we um, can have coffee at some point when I'm back in like the day. Yes, please. Um, is there, what are you, is there something in particular for this, for like the new year or something that's coming up that you're really excited about? Well, I was geeking out last week about this. <laughs> And to answer your question earlier, I found this, like, knit that was kind of, like, a corduroy look, but it was a knit. So it had, like, whales in it. And then I asked my, um, I asked the guy that showed it to me, because usually what they'll do is they'll show me conventional cotton or whatever fabric, and then they ask them, can we do this in organic cotton or hemp or whatever, or recycled cotton? And usually they'll tell me yes or no. Um, this guy showed it to me and I asked him, okay, can I really, really love this. And I want to do like a whole, like, I want to run this for the next year, like the whole year, like yeah. buy into it for spring and summer, uh, spring, summer and fall, winter. And he was like, yeah, not a, not a problem. And so I like put it in my designs and whatever. And then turns out he said, I can't do it because it's like a, there's a, he needed to use two types of yarn and one of the one of the yarns was like a kind of like an irregular one so nobody mm. was really really doing that in organic cotton so it was going to be like half organic and half non-organic and oh I was, <laughs> 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 and I was so mad oh man <laughs> I was so mad and I was just like what about recycled cotton he was like oh you're so smart let me check and I was just like so I'm gonna do your job for you but whatever just do it (laughs) he comes back he was like sorry they don't carry that can't and so I go to my main guy that when it always does things for me and I was just like hey you know I found this fabric I know we can do something like it might not be exactly the same but it will be something similar and I know I don't know how but I'm pretty sure you can figure it out so they 
they figured it out where they just I forget. It's just all these like knitting terms. And I'm just like, all right, cool. <laughs> <laughs> just get me the cool fabric. <laughs> yeah. So they were able to um, kind of recreate it. It's not exactly the same, but I still think it's pretty cool. But so it's, it, we call it now the corduroy knit. Oh, cool. Super excited about that next year. And another thing that I'm excited about is I've always been obsessed with, um, with natural dyes or plant dyes. Yeah. And it's kind of like hard to do that on a production scale here in the States because nobody really like the dye houses are not very familiar or they don't really want to deal with it. Mm-hmm. So I was just like, all right, um, I really want to um I really want to test out working with um an overseas manufacturer. But I was like, it needs to have a reason why I'm doing that there and not here. Like, that's my rule. So I was just like, all right, I want to do plant dyes. So India's like the best place to do that because they are like masters at that. Uh So I found this, um, I found this factory. He only employs women and they all, um, it's in Delhi. They all, all the women, like, live around the factory so they like they go home for lunch and they're like they're paid fairly and they like work for him for like a very long time and usually if it's like a if it's like a factory or or something like that it's usually like men that get the jobs and women don't really get those jobs so he just employs just women yeah so yeah, so and then he is working with me. We developed this organic cotton linen blend. Oh, um, dreamy! <laughs> and it's gonna be plant dyed, and it's gonna be sewn by Happy Women. That's amazing! That's so exciting! <laughs> yeah. So yeah, um, that's um some of my plans for next year. Oh my gosh, that's super exciting! I'm I can't wait to see where that where that goes because that. Natural dyeing is a, is such an interesting one that it gets talked a lot about on the podcast from a usually not a production perspective because like you've mentioned it's just like it's a slightly more uh, nuanced <laughs> uh, type of dyeing than acid dyeing and that and also I think it takes some consumer education around it too because not always are the dyes quite as color fast or light fast as we would expect from our sort of acid dyes. So there's, there's like all these different things of like getting people either comfortable with that or excited about that. So it's, um, it comes up a lot in conversation with people who do natural dyeing from a lot of other perspectives, but I'm excited to see where it goes from the production perspective. That's really exciting. So I'm really excited because this is something that I've been wanting to do for a while. Yeah. Yeah finally found the right partner for it I just didn't you know I just didn't want to do it just to do it I wanted it to have like a reason as to why I'm not doing it here so yeah finding a partner that was like willing to work with me and you know make check like all the boxes that needed to be checked was like really I'm really happy that that's gonna happen for next year yeah that's amazing Yay. Yay. Well, was there anything else that you wanted to share with the listeners before we go? I shared my whole life with you. (laughs) (laughs) It's perfect. It's perfect. That's exactly what I want to share. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.